Hey everyone, welcome back to the network. This is Elisa Morse and I am here to help kick off episode two in our two-part series with Michael Horn. Now, if you remember, Michael is the co-founder of the Clayton Christensen Institute. He's also the author of several books, including From Reopen to Reinvent, Recreating School for Every Child, which Corey referenced several times in the last episode that we had. In the first episode, Corey and Michael talked about what it really means to rethink the way school shows up in our communities and for our students and for our families. They also talked a lot about the usefulness and the importance of social capital and how social capital isn't a thing that is separate from our education, from our academics. Um, They drew a really interesting perspective about what it means to have both academics and career-connected learning and that social capital. So in the vein of reinventing education, on today's episode, Corey and Michael talk about the role of the educator. They talk about how the role and the relationship between educator and student can be reinvented, but also how the approach to the craft of teaching can be shifted for educators as well. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll catch you on the other end. But you talk a lot about uh, the role of the educator, the teacher, and uh, a couple of things really stood out to me, which honestly I had never really heard expressed the way you expressed. Um, mm. And one of those was digging into the dynamics of the student teacher relationship because of the various roles that we have assigned in a traditional system to the teacher. And the, the thing that really stood out to me was when you think about what we expect the teacher to do in terms of building a relationship with a student to to kind of be a mentor to them, to guide them, to be on their team, so to speak. And yet we are in most cases having that teacher be the sole evaluator of the student and assigning them a grade and kind of ranking them against and in a competition against other students in the class. Yep. Can you talk more about that? I, I wrote down as I was taking notes, um, I put in the in the margins, I wrote, whose side are you on? <laughs> right. It's exactly right. Right. And yeah. and 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 sort of the um I would say there's a couple places the insight came from, but one of them uh was reading Carol Dweck's work on on growth mindset, right? And uh and and in the book, her famous book, she uh has this line of uh that uh, any individual, but, but kids will sort of sabotage the work when they see that the person ostensibly supporting them is in fact judging them. And, and why would they believe that? Well, because teachers are grading them. (laughs) And so, uh, it sort of cuts you off at the knees, if you will. And, uh, the obvious implication of that is exactly what you just said, which is whose side are you on anyway? And then I would say the second piece of it um, uh, was uh, Jessica Leahy's book, Gift of Failure. Uh, when I read that, she uh, talked about her time as a teacher um, and that the worst part of it was the arguments with parents because they couldn't have their children fail. And, and just the arguments were always over grades where it pitted the parents against the teachers. And I was thinking, 
you've got to be rowing on the same team. Like this shouldn't be, this should not be adversarial, right? This should, you should be advocating for. Um, And then the other piece, frankly, is if we're serious about moving into a mastery based world or, or frankly, even in our current world, I get it, particularly in public systems. Like you want some sort of like objective check, right? Third party check on, did this child really master this material? Uh, And, so we've constructed this, you know, incredibly weighty system of summative assessments, and then school districts put in interim assessments to check if you're going to progress against the sub. I mean, it's you know just this huge infrastructure that has nothing to do with the students themselves. Um, right. And you think about well, if there was an- another party just actually grading the work itself, saying have you mastered this or not yet you wouldn't need this huge infrastructure, right? It would be part of the teaching and learning itself. And Western Governors University does that, where they have a separate faculty. Uh, For those that don't know, it's an online uh, university, about 170,000 students, I think they educate, 180,000. And the teachers don't grade uh, the students. They have a separate faculty whose sole job is to evaluate student work and say, did you master this or not? And Which is fascinating. just fascinating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's totally fascinating. And it's yeah. great, though. And then you think about something like what you're doing. Well, I, I don't need my teacher to evaluate it. I love the professionals to say, hey, is this work you just did, Michael, in this area, right? Uh, you know, whether it's uh, in nursing or whether it's in, in, in coding or whatever, is this up to snuff? Like, is, is this going to is this going to fly in the workplace? And And sort of you realize that performance and the outside community really evaluating it is a very powerful lever. And then it sucks all the venom out of that teacher, student, teacher, parent relationship where teachers now get to just be the advocates. Like I'm on your team. I'm helping you get to where you want to go as a child, as an individual, as opposed to, Oh, I'm doing a little bit of that, but in the back of my head, I know that, you know, some of you are not going to cut it and I'm going to put you in the bottom 50% of the class and blah, blah, blah. Right. Like that's not right. a relationship you you want. Um, and so I, well, I, I think yeah. there's value in yeah. that. I, by the way, I'll tell you one other quick story. Um, Absolutely. My kid, my kids are enrolled in a, in a Montessori school and I, I, I adore it. And so when I was writing the chapter, I was sort of like, well, we get the mastery based, you know, um, uh, reports based on on how my kids are doing from their teachers and and that works okay because it's not a public system so they maybe don't have the incentive to say that they're passing and uh, hopefully my kids won't listen to this but but I you know I know their <laughs> talents right and I looked at the uh sort of where they had mastered and where they hadn't and I was like ah this this you know I have twins by the way um uh, identical twins and I know one of them is you know further ahead on certain things than the other one um but they had it the other way around uh, and they're in two oh different gosh. classrooms. And I was just thinking, well, that's, that's subject to, you know, they didn't mix them up. It's just subjectivity of the teacher. Right. And I was thinking even there, it actually would be helpful to have a third party just come in and be like, yeah, here's the standard. Your, your child's still working toward it. It's all good. Um, or yeah, yeah, you know, your child's mastered this, but, but um, even in the best of scenarios, I would argue with with the teacher in a Montessori or the guides in a Montessori environment really just observing a lot of the time, there's still subjectivity because of all these relationships and whatever else. And how cool would it be if just, you know, a third party came along and said, oh, this, this, this artifact of work, this performance, this project, whatever. Yeah, you've mastered these things or, or hey, guess what? Keep working at it. You're on the road. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Well, and all this to say, and I know you believe this too. I mean, it's, these are, these are functions of the way the system is set up. It's not really the function of the way the teachers want to operate, right? Correct. I mean, with, 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 I'm sure there are always exceptions, right? But, but most teachers don't want to be the, the judge, the judge and jury on all of these and execution, right? People. And the executioner <laughs> at times it's, uh, it's, it's, it's terrible. And, and teachers, yeah. I think they don't know any different. And so they assume it's part of the job. Yeah. And when you see a different way, my experiences, at least the teachers are like, Oh wait, that's possible. Yeah, totally. Uh, let's do that. <laughs> totally right. And, uh, it, it, so to draw the the connection back to our, for our listeners at caps, you know, for in the caps world, what this looks like is what many of you do as practitioners, it's, you know, having industry partners come in and provide, um, feedback and critiques on students that are part of the kind of mix of how the teacher then can make an evaluation. It's peer to peer review that happens often in the caps model. It's, you know, you as, as educators who I see this all the time are visiting with students one-on-one in what kind of really, when I saw it the first time, I'm like, this is like a performance review at a, at a business. Like they're talking, uh, it's, it's, you know, clearly on the same team and we're kind of coaching through like, okay, what's next for you. And it's all custom, you know, to, to that individual student, uh, Michael, I'm reminded of a story, which I, I it speaks a little bit to this uh, and the, some of the dynamics we see because students that come to caps, typically they're coming at the near high schoolers. They're typically coming in as juniors or seniors. That's kind of the, the biggest set of students that we have. And we often see students that come over and and they start participating in a CAPS program, but they're used to being in the larger system of school. And, and you'll get a whole mix of different types of students. But I'll never forget this story. It was told by a former um, uh, engineering teacher who had a student come in, and this is a very typical story, in the first week and just asking, pleading with him for uh, a a true rubric of how she is going to be evaluated over the course of the semester, right? Like, tell me the game I'm playing so I can go play yeah, it. Make it transparent. Yep. Make it transparent because I'll just take it and I'll drill it and I'll, and we'll move on. And, and he kept telling her, well, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. Be patient, you know? And it finally got to a point where the student just basically said, look, I need something. I can't function this way. I need to know what I need to do to get an A. And his response was, I'm giving you an A for the semester right now. Now, what do you want to do? And, you know, her brain just kind of, you see it just kind of smoking out of her ears. And she's like, I don't know what to do with this. And it's, you mentioned executive functioning, but I think it's, you know, it's this idea of like, how do you function and and prosper in ambiguity? Like yeah. that is a skill set that we have as a larger society with the way we've done school we have not helped students really at all in how to function and how to thrive in ambiguity. And, and so that's how I see this connecting to the work that's happening with caps and that we'd like to see more of is, and it's not necessarily like when he said that it, he was being a bit flippant. I mean, he does, he did have a method by which he would, you know, work with others to evaluate a student's performance, but he wanted to break her of this idea that, you know, that that's it's all that's about the grade and have you're just your playing focus. the game. Yeah, your yeah. focus shouldn't be on the grade. It should be on what you want to learn, how you want to connect, what you want to learn about yourself. And if you do that, you're going to end up with a great graded caps, right? I mean, that's that's just the way it works. I, I want to shift the uh, f- for the kind of 
maybe the culmination of our conversation to the most important stakeholder, the students. Mm-hmm. And something that you referenced uh, and, and the way that you kind of talked about this, I loved so much. And it spoke to me as just as an individual, the idea of having fun and how important it is to create. In fact, you you talked about it as the job, right? This is one of the yeah. jobs. One, one of, of the, the jobs, jobs for students. Yeah. One of the jobs for students is having fun. Talk a little more about that. Um, provide some color to those that haven't read the book yet. Like, what does it mean? Yeah. Why is that a job for yeah. students to have fun? What, why is that important? Well, so let me quickly identify or, or define what is a job to be done, uh, because it's basically this insight that that came out of our research that people don't buy products or services in their own right, right? Like they don't they they don't want your quarter inch drill. They they want the freaking hole on the other side, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, but but even more than that, the circumstance matters a lot, right? In the context, um, what what is value to to an individual? And so the way we think about it is. It's the progress an individual is trying to make in their lives in a struggling circumstance. And for kids, when you look at it, school is not like the thing that they're trying to do. <laughs> it's a, That's probably not news to any educators or anyone listening to the podcast, but it, it's, it's something that they can choose to do when their currency is not money, it's time, right? It's where they, it's their engagement and where they choose to spend their time, um, uh, but it's competing with all sorts of other things in their lives, video games, uh, uh, boredom, frankly, uh, right. books, arts, extracurriculars, athletics, music, you know, um, dropping out and, and joining a gang, like you name it, right? There's all sorts of things out there that are competing. And so you really got to understand what's their job to be done. And and we they have a couple we, we talk about in the book, but the one you're focusing on is for the majority of students, one of their key jobs to be done every single day is that they wake up and they want to have fun with their friends. And when you look at how traditional schools are structured, they aren't doing all that good a job. And and on the one hand, you might say, "What what are you talking about, Michael?" Like I hear the shouts of glee on the at the you know in the playground or on the sports fields, or mm-hmm. I see the joy in, in in band class or whatever, um, or between. Uh, periods as they're in the hallways, you know, switching classes or whatever. But take a closer look at the classes themselves and you'll see the point, which is if I try to have fun with my friends in class, the teacher generally isn't too excited. You're probably going to get in trouble. Yeah. Probably get right. The fate of the class clown or, you know, in my case, uh, when disrupting class came out, I'm sure some of my middle school teachers were like, he's written his autobiography finally. Oh, Um, (laughs) uh, and you know, so, so, so you sort of, you have that dynamic on top of which, if you collaborate with other kids on the work, then we call that cheating. Right. And right. right. And so the the question is, and, and, and I get it in the traditional paradigm. Right. But the question is, if this is the what, what's intrinsically motivating the students, they're trying to get done. How do you create a learning experience itself? Not the extras, not the sideshows, but the actual core experience itself. How do you construct it in a way that, yes, it, it gets the school's job done of building academic knowledge, skills, habits of success, connection to real world experiences and social capital. Like it does all that. And it helps students uh, have fun with their friends as they're learning. And if you reframe it around that, then you realize, 
oh, projects are actually really important. Oh, the, the, the you know, the chance for me to pop up and mentor another child or, or, or to teach, you know, teach them a concept I was struggling with last week or whatever. That's really important. Right. Um, all those things all of a sudden become critical assets and not things we're trying to stamp out. And, and so I, you know, that, that, that's the short answer, I guess, to the question, but um, you realize if you don't do that, you are swimming against a core intrinsic motivation of kids as they define progress in their day-to-day lives. And you are going to lose the battle with TikTok and YouTube and all the other things out there because they're going to find right. other ways to have fun with friends doing that and not engage with you as uh, school. I, I, I just absolutely love that framing. And I, you know, another quick story, and this happened, uh, I just started working uh, at, at the time. My role was focused on Blue Valley Caps. So here in Overland Park, Kansas, and I was hired as the executive director here. There was no network at that time. Uh, we were just focused on running this innovative program here in the Kansas City area in a in a single school district. And I came from industry. I came from a background in entrepreneurship and supporting entrepreneurs and had started my own business. And, you know, I wasn't an, a traditional educator and I was hired because of that. Um, and uh, I, I would say three or four months in, you know, the system was wearing on me a little bit. I'll be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I was struggling to kind of understand how I could be effective and and even really truly understanding the 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 motivations from the system of what I should be doing and not doing. And I had uh, a conversation with someone in a position of authority who kind of uh, halfway laughing, I guess, <laughs> but definitely some seriousness behind it said something to me uh, or had a conversation that was kind of went like this. It was like, I walk in and, and it's, Hey, are you still having fun over at caps? And I, I responded with, well, yeah, I'm I'm having fun. If I'm not having fun, you'll know because I won't be here. <laughs> you know, I will leave. And and uh, it was taken like the reaction was like this affront, like, oh gosh, don't do that. Why would you do that? <laughs> and I said, well, I mean, life's too short. Like, I'm productive when I'm having fun, and and that's you know that's when I am at my highest energy. That's when I can influence others. And I kind of went through this whole thing, and I said, you know, I have other options that I you know I'm. I, I will do what what is necessary uh, to make the most impact I can wherever it is. And I think it was just uh, cavalier enough that it actually changed the dynamics of like yeah. how I was seen in the system. But I think all humans, I mean, inherently, you want to feel good. You want to be happy. You want to have fun, right? You want, even as adults, we want to have fun with our friends. Yeah. So yeah. why are we I mean, fighting social that? Beings. that? Yeah. Well, there's a ton of research on this, right? That we're social beings. And and again, there's exceptions, but for the most part, uh, it's a really important part of the human experience. Uh, I, I see it the same way in terms of the work you do, which is your passions uh, are, are driven by where the things that give you energy in, in, in your life. And I know that it breaks down because there's a bunch of people that stay in jobs where the energy drains are higher than the drives. And so that maybe you need to separate this out. But from my perspective, they correlate, I think almost 1.0, like they, they, (laughs) right. If you're doing your best work when you are most in flow and most energized and having fun. And if you suck that out of the experience, 
like it's a said, death march. Too short. Life's too short. Life's too short. Death march. Yeah. Yeah. Life's too short. And there's plenty of people that don't switch or can't switch or whatever else. I don't mean Absolutely. to undermine it, sure. but 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 uh, I think part of actually the the change I think in in schools should be building a world in which individuals as they graduate have way more agency to know who they have become what their purpose is so that they have the ability to make choices so that those things are no longer divergent but are always convergent and and that would be in in my mind that would be maybe the most successful outcome uh you could imagine uh from transformed school system and frankly a transformed society as a result yeah well goosebumps on that one because that's i mean that's that we want every student to to get to a place where they understand their purpose or at least an element of their purpose to be able to drive forward and have the durable skill set to be confident and have self-advocacy to go make whatever happen that they want to happen. And if they're doing that, they're going to be happy. They're going to be having fun and they're going to make the world a better place. Uh, that's not too shabby like that. I know that's the vision, right? That's where we want yeah. to go. Well, Michael, um, this has been such a pleasure. Um, I am looking forward to uh, future conversations with you and brainstorming and uh, sounding board uh, conversations as we continue to try to do some things to better the broader movement. Uh, there are lots of players out there. You reference a ton of them in your book, whether it's you know a big picture learning or summit schools or or uh, uh, others. I mean, there are so many that we could name and we are believers in all of us doing our part rowing the same direction, we can really make a positive impact happen. And so we're just so excited for the future and so excited for your book and all that will come from it, from reopen to reinvent, recreating school for every child. Uh, definitely get a copy and um, thank you. Thank you for all you do. No, well, thank you. I'm, I'm ex like I said, excited to be connected in the network now and uh, looking forward to the time where I can spend some time in some of the environments that you, you, you all have created uh, with the authentic work that, that takes place there. So deeply appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about uh, strategies and concepts and some new ways of thinking, which I think are incredibly important that Michael's brought to the table with his book from reopen to reinvent. And uh, as you know, I, I am a big believer that the tipping point is near and that we're all marching and, and doing our things. And, and you all are making incredible impact where you are. Um, so please keep keep pushing, keep fighting, um, you know, smash through that brick wall, jump over it, go around it, under it. I mean, whatever you have to do, but keep that energy going. Have fun because that's incredibly important. And uh, until we are back together again, go make a positive impact on the world. Thanks, everybody. I am back and I hope you enjoyed that conversation between Corey and Michael. I know I did. I know I walked away with some nuggets, some insights, and a little bit of inspiration to carry with me as we talk more. But I'm also here to remind you, or if you haven't heard yet, let you know, registration for CAPS Summer Huddle 2023 Education Elevated is now open. You can access that registration at yourcapsnetwork.org backslash events. And we're excited to bring people out to Provo, Utah, June 26th through the 28th 
for collaboration, for inspiration, for co-working together, um, to see some different spaces that CAPS takes place in. It's going to be a great time like always. So again, find registration at yourcapsnetwork.org backslash events. And until then, we hope you have a great week.